Romans chapter 3, we'll pick up at verse 9, reading Romans 3, verses 9 through 20. Since it's been over a month since we've been in the book of Romans, let me give you some context. We're picking up uh, really at the end, at the conclusion of the apostles' first argument. So at the conclusion of this section, we get this wonderful verse, Romans 3, 21. It comes to us as just a sense of relief. This is what I need. Um, But it comes as relief because of what those chapters have told us. So this first section, Romans 1 to 3, um, the apostle says, uh, I'm going to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to you why he had to come and live and die and be raised from the dead and why this was God's plan and why it gives us just hope, assurance, and security. I'm going to explain that to you. But before we really even get to the work of Christ, we have to expose that need. All right. So you all know I was a salesman for years. It's funny, the first church plant I did, uh, we were trying to work this deal to get an entire building from another church. We're trying to get them to give it to us. And the whole church thought, Mark's going to go in there and close that deal. They're like, you're the salesman. You can do it. You're going to close that deal. I didn't close that deal. (laughs) But what do you do as a salesman if you've ever tried to sell something? You have to raise a level of discontent somewhere. right? So you bring your truck into Lundgren Chevrolet, and it's making a little noise here and there, right? And the salesman comes up and goes, hey, while you're getting that fixed, you want to take a look at this uh, new 2023? And you're like, what could they do to make it any better? Oh, what could they do to make it any better, right? You sit in there, and 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 of course, they put you in the most, most amazing model, right? It loves you. The seat grabs you and cuddles you, right? And you're just in there, and you're thinking, and you're looking over at the other truck that you brought in, and there's still remnants of deer blood and hair, stuff hanging down, right? And you're like, I wouldn't even have to wash that, right? So you raise a level of discontent. The apostle does that in those first three chapters. He says, oh, human beings of every stripe and every type, do you understand your standing in the courtroom of God? Oh, you must understand this. If, if you don't grasp this, then you're not ever, ever going to reach out and thank Christ for his work. And, and so in your notes in the outline, I call it stage one. So the apostle is bringing to conclusion stage one. This is what he has done thus far. And, and it's gotten progressively closer to who we are. Right? So he starts in chapter one, the wrath of God. It's being poured out on all of those. Right? And as a young Christian, I would read that and I would like, yeah, get them. Right? Get them. These people, these bad boys. I'm a good boy. These bad boys, get them. And so you read that, and and the description of who these people are. They're people that suppress the truth of God. So they've heard it. They don't want anybody to know it. They encourage other people in their ways of sin. They recruit people to sin. Right? And and so you're reading that, and you're like, yeah, the wrath of God. Boy, I, I can't wait for it to be poured out on them. And then it gets just, each time, it gets just a little closer to who we are, right? And it's just this profound way of kind of bringing us in. Uh, It goes from, from those who suppress the truth and encourage others 
to those who have kind of set up their own system of law, right? And we've, we've done that. That was put into us as children. This is what a good boy is. This is what a bad boy is. This is what a good girl is. This is what a bad girl is. Don't be this, be this. Or, right? it, it's put into us. We pick it up. We pick it up from our culture, from our teachers, anybody who has significance in us, in a relationship, a coach. This is, what a, this is what a man looks like. This is what a woman looks like from TikTok, from Instagram. This is what beauty looks like. This, so we build up this whole system. And that's that second group that he said, you have in some way, every human being has made their own laws. And then he drops the hammer on that, doesn't he? He says, you know what? You can't even stand up to the own laws. If you were to stand before me and I was to play back a tape of every judgment you had made in your life, lo and behold, you've probably broken every one of those judgments you've made in your life. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. And then he takes it one step further and he goes to the Jewish nation. And we took three weeks to look at that because uh, probably that would depict closely who we are in our culture, who the evangelical Christian sees themselves in their culture. And he talked about, your, you've got this name, you've got this heritage, right? Where I, I, I came from a Christian nation, right? I, I, I was baptized. Uh, he talks about you, you, had, you had circumcision, you had all of these things. And yet that is still not enough for you to stand before a holy God. And so today it's that conclusion. And so it starts off with this, this kind of double question. It starts off with these two questions and it's like, what then? Okay, so... Just immediately before, he had, he had done this, uh, his didactic, his teaching method was question and answer. So when Bo is talking about catechisms, question and answer, uh, it's a way of teaching. And his is the same. So Paul would, would, would ask questions in his preaching that he would expect other people to ask. And so the question he had just asked is, is there any advantage to being a Jew? If you said that circumcision and ethnicity and, and following all these strictures and laws is not enough, what advantage? And the apostle then said, well, there's a lot of advantages. You received the patriarchs. You received the law of God. You, had, uh, you have a history. You've had the prophets and the priests. You've had a whole system that you have grown up with. There has been a lot of advantages, but they don't save you. And so that's where we pick up this morning. Verse 9. Um, verse 9 is their response to, we've had all of these things, but they don't save me. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, that's snakes, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped. For the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. 
The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Two questions in verse 9 juxtaposed together. What then and are we Jews any better off? And I don't want to make too much of this, but I do love that the apostle uses the first person plural. Are we? Right? So he is bringing his own testimony to bear. He is saying, I'm a Jew. And actually, according to all of the Jewish laws and principles, I would defend my record in Judaism against anybody's. He goes on in, um, in Galatians and defends it and says, I've done this, 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 this. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was spotless in keeping the law. And then he goes and makes this weird statement, says, but all of those things to me are as filthy rags. That's a rated G version of what he's saying. They're, 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 it's to be discarded. And what is all that? He's saying, because that was what I held on to. That's what made me proud and arrogant and judgmental of other people. That's what made my worship just rote and stiff and not a, a crying out in gratitude and grace. All of those things. So when he asks this, he's, he's bringing himself into it and says, are, are we? He's not saying this gospel is for you bad people. He's saying this gospel that we're about to receive is for good people. <laughs> It's for people who think themselves well. It's for great neighbors, good employees. Are we any better off? Well, then here is the arraignment. So I always feel weird using legal terms with Clayton sitting back there judging me. We good? Here's the arraignment. All, all of the, all of the, uh, all of the discoveries been out there, and here's the arraignment. We have already charged. Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. What then? Are we better off? Not at all. For we are all under sin. And so then he reels off these Old Testament quotes. Again, speaking to a Jew. Here's what the Bible has said. Here's what it said before Jesus came. All, all are guilty and charged under sin. So this idea of innocence. Um, and you guys remember David Cook on American Idol? I never watch it. I only like the I only like the audition shows. Tammy hates the audition shows because everybody laughs at those terrible, terrible voices. David Cook sings this Taylor Swift song. Anybody listen to Taylor Swift? I did the other day and I didn't know it. And then the kids made fun of me. Uh, you've heard the song Innocent? song innocent david cook sang it on american idol it goes like this i guess you really did at this time left yourself in your war path lost your balance on a tightrope lost your mind trying to get it back wasn't it easier in your lunchbox days always a bigger bed to crawl into wasn't it beautiful when you believed in everything and everybody believed in you it's all right just wait and see Your string of lights is still bright to me. Oh, who you are is not where you've been. You're still an innocent. You're still an innocent. Did some things you can't speak of, but at night you live it all again. You wouldn't be shattered on the floor right now if only you had seen what you know now then. 
when David Cook sings it, he brings a whole audience in. And they all chant this together. We are all innocent. We are all innocent. That ain't true. But what is he, what, 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 I don't know who wrote it, but what do they go to to prove they're innocent? If only I would have known. Those are the games we play. Like I didn't, the only reason I did something wrong is I just didn't know. Right? I mean, it's just ridiculous. We always do things that are wrong that we know. We always choose a, the pleasure of sin for a season over the discipline of doing what's right. But we also all want to be innocent. Want to be innocent. And so even though this text is just, it's just harsh, it's stage one of the gospel. There, there has to be amongst a human being this understanding that what I, what I bring to the Lord because I've been abused, be, because I've had these things happen to me, but also because of what I've chosen to do, what I've chosen to fill my, my life with and to, to uh, absorb the pain. I've, I've, I've chosen things that have hurt me and hurt others. We all need to grasp that in order that the gospel's sweet. And I, I know I've used this illustration many times, and it was just so vivid to me that last year's seminary when Tammy and I were in such debt, such debt, I was making a rent payment on a Discover card, and then about once a month I was signing up to get balances transferred to a new card just to make ends meet. And I, and I remember looking at thinking, I'm going to graduate from seminary as a youth pastor, and I'm not going to make much money, and how are we going to pay this off? I can't quit right now, because then I, I couldn't be ordained. Or, and I'm just in this just terrible funk. And an old friend calls and, and says, he would sold his business, and he said, I'd like to help you out. How much do you owe? And I still had so much pride, because we'd gone through these financial classes together. Right? I had so much pride. I'm like, well, we owe the school this much. He's like, okay, is that all? Well, I do owe somebody this much. Okay, is that all? Um, we owe on the van. Okay, is that all? And I just felt like each time he was getting more into my business, each time me as an egotistical man, like, I can take care of this. I can do it on my own. I don't need your help. We'll figure it out. Each time he drove into that, his check was getting bigger. And that's what he wanted. He, he, he wanted to remove that anxiety and that pain. I wanted to hold on to it as some badge of, look what I've gone through, look what I've struggled through, look, look what I've, and he wanted to do it. And so when we go through Romans 3, when we do times of confession, that's always going on in my mind. God is saying, why are you holding on? <laughs> why won't you come clean? I desire to pay for that. That's where innocence is found in the Christian life. It's not in saying, Please forgive me, because if I'd have known better, I wouldn't have done that. It, 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 it's, it's not the, the, the self-help of trying to create a narrative in which you're always the good guy. It's just laying it before the Lord. I also think of those commercials. Uh, I don't know if it's progressive now, the ones where they, uh, they have the replay, where the husband or the wife throws the red replay flag. Have you seen those? Like, they're just awesome, aren't they? I mean, they're just like, 
No, you said you weren't going to bring the potato salad or whatever. No, it was on you. Uh, pull the re yep, oh, Okay, it's on me, right? I mean, it's just, uh, we, we'd love something like that, wouldn't we? Wouldn't that be just awesome in life? Like, no, you said this, right? We, we, we look at it, we love it. But then there's that person like, oh, okay, I'm guilty. You're right. But at least it's settled. We want to be innocent. And so what do we do without the gospel? Well, we... we we do everything to minimize our sin by comparing it to others. We blame others. Uh, and, and then we also kind of attack the law of God. He couldn't possibly have meant this. That couldn't possibly be uh, how I'm supposed to act and treat people. I can't possibly do that. Oh, that, that was written years ago before people were like this. Whatever it is. But what's beautiful for us who know the Lord is it brings us to Jesus. This here is devastating news for the Jews. You see now why they wanted to kill Jesus. Because he was saying, what you have done is not enough. That, that will not secure you. You have devoted your life to a system, and yet that system pointed to me. Pointed, every Jew knew that in order to worship, sacrifice was made. It was, it was part of the every time you go to the temple, right? You are reminded, I am bringing it, and he is sacrificed, and he is going to cover it. And yet they miss this Messiah. Now, I'm just going to tell you, we do not get to choose our own set of rules. And so when our text talks about the righteousness of God, when it talks about his law, um, you know, Christians, we've kind of become that way. I, I want to go to this church because they don't demand this. Or I'm going to go to this church because they, all they ever talk about is love and grace. And I, You know, on the day of judgment, we don't get to go like, like let's, say, let's say you're driving. Let's say Bo's driving his dually in Louisiana. He's pulling his bass boat. He's, he's, he's steering with his knee. And he's talking on the phone, yelling at somebody. He gets pulled over going 85 in Louisiana. Now, I don't know if you know about law, but Louisiana law is still, some of it's based on Napoleonic law. I mean, it's, it's a weird place. You don't want to get pulled over in Louisiana. Bo gets pulled over in Louisiana. They said, mister, you're going 90 in a 65. He goes, well, guess what? I'm from Oklahoma. We don't care in Oklahoma. Well, I'm from Montana. They don't have speed limits in Montana. And the cop goes, oh, well, okay, yeah, I didn't know what system you were using. I think people treat God that way. I'm going to get there and I'm going to go, you know, I, I tried to be a good person. This is all I knew. I took care of some people. I did this and that. Oh, and God says, okay, what system are you using? Oh, okay. No. God's righteousness is the standard. It is the law. It's the standard. And it's really great that in verse 20 it says, the law is to make us conscious of sin. It has, it has many other uses, but the law of God is to make us conscious of sin. Now in Sunday school this morning, I talked about a coach using, using this illustration that, that God in some ways is this coach that is cheering over you, and he is going to, he's going to point out wrongdoings. He's going to celebrate these victories, but, but he has this picture of who you're going to be, and that's the righteousness of God. And you know what? It's absolutely what we long for. We long to be right. We don't long just to be forgiven. We long to be right. This beautiful thought that, that I would stand before a holy God and be declared right. 
So, uh, <laughs> as usual, my illustrations forever. Um, we're going to look at these four things to understand sin. And the reason we need to understand sin is if we, if we understand sin, then we understand the gospel. And so that's why he starts his letter, not like a gospel track, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. He starts his gospel presentation in Romans with, uh, the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon the unrighteous. And um, so we, we need to understand sin. And so we're going to look at it in four ways, kind of quickly here as we work through this text. The first is that we have to understand that sin is against God. All right. Any, any sin that human beings commit by either committing it or not doing what they're supposed to do, uh, it is ultimately against God. Yes, it's against other people. It's against the planet. It's against animals, right? Culture. I mean, the Bible covers all of that, right? The, the righteous person's animal is actually supposed to be better off than the unrighteous person's animal, right? We are called to subdue the earth, to rule over it, not to destroy it. Um, anyway... All of those things ultimately point back to the relationship we have with God. And so look what he says. One of these, uh, one of these quotes is from Ecclesiastes. There are five that come from Psalms and one from Isaiah. Verse 10, no one seeks God. You're like, yeah, they do. No one seeks God. Yeah, they do. But they seek God for help and blessing, not for worship. Rarely does someone seek God because they want to be aware of their sinful behaviors. Oh, they may seek, unfortunately, the American God, which is an amalgamation of Jesus, American Idol, and the NFL, all put into one God. We seek that one, you know. Yep, yep, help us win, you know. We, we, we seek a God that maybe has been portrayed incorrectly. You know, we pray for him to heal our sick, right? But we don't worship him if he heals our sick. We worship him if our sick die. We don't worship him if we get the job. We worship him when we get fired from the job. Right? So when they say no one seeks God, say no one seeks God for God. Uh, verse 18, there's no fear of God before their eyes. You think about the first four commandments that are so simple and say, this is what it means that I am God. You don't take my name in vain. You honor my day. You don't make idols in place of me. You don't serve other gods. Verse 19, they're all guilty before God. It's interesting, in David's psalm of confession, when he committed murder and adultery, he says in verse 4 of Psalm 51, against you and you only, O God, have I sinned. There's a realization that the sin he committed to Bathsheba, the sin he committed to Uriah, the sin he committed uh, to his family, the ramifications of that sin, which were awful, bloodshed and death and brokenness in his own family he realizes but but ultimately God has put me where he put me and my sin is against him and so that means for us as Christians we're to hate sin we're not just to hate it because uh, it embarrasses us but we're to hate sin because it's against God and if you love a human being if you love a human being you, you think about what pleases that human being do they love right I mean I was all I was all stove up yesterday it's a good old Mississippi term like a stove pipe sitting on the couch my back hurt my foot hurt my mouth hurt everything was messed up and there's Tammy buzzing around the house you know doing what she does you know uh, it's just like would you like a cup of tea 
And I'm sitting there, I'm like, woman, you're doing everything. <laughs> I got the game on. Yes, I would love a cup of tea. <laughs> and I got this stupid man-made bag of ice on my foot. And she's like, she comes up with the, the, the proper one, because, you know, Tammy has everything in a place, right? So she comes up with the proper one. She goes, here, this won't fall off. It won't, you know. Why do you do that? Because she loves me. The Christian hates sin because they love God. And the more we trust him, the more we see his wisdom and his law. Uh, secondly, sin is universal. Uh, it says everyone. Verse 10, it says it negatively. No one seeks God. No one is righteous. Uh, verse 11 and 12, he says it in a kind of a positive way. All, instead of turning towards righteousness, have turned aside. They've become worthless. They've gone their own way. No one does good. No, not one. Um, I, I wrote in my notes that I need to explain a bit more the righteousness of God. I don't think I have time for that this morning. But when you think of the righteousness of God, think about his whole being. Everything is right. Uh, everything is right and true about God. It is something we desperately need. Um, uh, Dr. Jo Lloyd-Jones says, you, you drop this plumb line and no one is in conformity to it. I told you about the time I did my own roof in Charlottesville and I thought I could just do it. It looks simple. You know, I'm a pretty smart feller, got a master's degree. I can do a roof. About the third row, Oh, it looked like I was on crack. I mean, it was. And then, lo and behold, my neighbor is the roofer. He just walks over. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I, yeah, I figured I could just follow this line. He goes, look at it, you know. And he's like, I can't take it. He puts it on his knee pads, and he gets up there, and he takes a plumb line. Right? Just like, here's the plumb line. Um, sin is everywhere. It is universal. God has dropped the plumb line, and we never stay to it. Uh, thirdly, verses 13 to 17, sin is pervasive. Look at the words he uses. Their throat, their tongues, their lips, their mouth, their feet, their paths. Sin is pervasive. Um, Isaiah 1, from the sole of their foot to, their, to the, even to their head, there's no soundness in them. In theology, we call this total depravity. It... it it means that all human beings, uh, every area of humanity is, is infected by sin. It doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be, but it means all these areas are infected. J.R. Packer puts it this way in his concise theology, no one is as bad as he or she might be, but no action of ours is as good as it should be. Already in Romans 2, 14, it says that human beings often, even by their nature, do what the law requires. Right, so, so a, a mother brings birth to a child and by nature she knows. I, 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 I can't expect that child to change its own diaper and walk. I wish it was a baby Impala because it could get up right away and run away from the wolves. But no, it's a human baby. It's going to take years for it to even learn how to go to the bathroom. Right? But they know by nature. The apostle says that. That's part of God's image put into us. And, and, and even though things we know, we tend to go against. Um, have you felt that pervasiveness of sin? Have you saw it somewhere that would be free of sin, its effects, its temptations? I just finished new members class, and I always tell the people that are interested in joining our church that part of my job is to lower your expectations. <laughs> 
Like, I'm a sinful man. I'm going to forget things. I'm going to say things. Oftentimes it's my humor, which I think is funny and nobody else thinks funny. Or Tammy checks me out later like, oh, Mark. I'm like, I'm, I don't say it as an excuse. I just say it as the reality. You know, the church is going to be full of people that are in some way or another in their growth and their walk with the Lord. And some of them might consider things sinful that you've not even yet considered. Some might be working on just the outside and, and you're working on motivations. It's everywhere. Lastly, sin abuses the law. So in verses 19 and 20, it says we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So this may be the most important point for me to drive home today. The apostle says we've looked at all the other options of standing before God. Make sure you don't think that the law of God is what you will stand on. And when I said this morning that that, that quote, I don't believe, it's because of that. I, 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 I tell myself and I try and I find it pop up so quickly. I'm better than this person. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't do that. And what am I doing at that moment? I'm saying, the law of God will justify me. <coughs> and the apostle says, here's the good news, oh sinful people. God's law won't justify you. We don't keep the Ten Commandments and understand the import of the Sermon on the Mount in order that we'll stand before God righteous. We study the Sermon on the Mount. We study the Ten Commandments that we might understand sin. You know, I use that illustration again of a coach. You know, I always think it's amazing when in the Olympics they do the, the diving, you know, and it happens so fast. And the announcer said, well, you know, she should have tucked her foot in a little bit. That uh, index finger was just a little off. They're going to deduct points for her because the entry had three bubbles instead of two. And you're watching, and you're like, this is amazing. You know, and then they slow it down, right? And you're like, oh, oh, I see what it is. The law of God works that way in us. We might stand off and think, I'm a great guy. And then it works into us. Oh, Mark, you still need so much. But here's the good news. I love you. Here's the good news. Mark, I know things about you that you're not, you're not even aware of yourself. And I love you. And when the time is right, I'm going to open that up to you so that it loses its power, so that it loses its dominion, so that you don't live in shame and guilt and fear. But maybe the time isn't right for that right now. And so, as I said in our, our class on sanctification, sometimes you can feel as if uh, the righteousness of God is the carrot dangling in front of the donkey. You keep walking and you keep walking and you keep walking and you never, ever get there. And, and, and that's not a good illustration of it. What dangles before us is beauty and glory and righteousness and what God is doing in us. And so, if you're like me, there are times where you feel like, I, I, I've become more generous. You know, I've become more forgiving. And then all of a sudden, you, you find some other area, and like, oh, I'm still, I'm still so far. The beauty is that, that, that God is loving you so much 
to work on it. I love the way this ends. Every mouth may be stopped. We are left speechless. The mic is dropped. The law doesn't justify us, but it gives us knowledge of our sin. It's a guide. It shows us the character of God. It was given alongside for the Jew a system of relief. Right? Moses comes down from the mountain. What does he do? He builds a tabernacle. He has an altar. He's like, here's the law of God. I'm not bringing it to you thinking you will keep it all. I'm bringing it to you to show how wonderful and beautiful I am and what I intend to make of you. And in the meantime, when you realize what you've done, there's a system of sacrifice that you will go through to cleanse you. I bring the law and I bring cleansing together. What is our plea? What is our plea? Our plea is guilty. Our plea is guilty. And I can't leave us there. We'll get to this next week. But verse 21 then says this relief. But now. Oh, it's beautiful. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And that's just the, it's kind of the, the tip of the iceberg for him. Uh, you feel the weight of sin. Oh, but now where we stand, we see that the righteousness of God has come and invaded the earth. And it came in human flesh and bone. Jesus, our righteousness. It was manifested. We understood it. We saw it. And it's given to us who by faith believe. You know, um, for years I was bothered by the trial of Jesus. Um, I was I was bothered by several things. I was I was bothered by how he faced death, uh, some somehow in a, in a way that just didn't seem fitting for a man of courage. You know, you hear of martyrs being burned at the stake and they're singing, and Jesus is weeping, sweating as though blood's coming out. You know, the other thing that bothered me was when um, he was accused that he was silent. You know, I just, I was like, hey, when do you guys get up there? Is there anybody going to tell how wonderful he is? And he was silent. And you know why? Because he was bearing our iniquity. And as it said here, the law is, is spoken and he's silent. And then I look back and I said, Isaiah said that. He would be silent as a sheep is silent before it shears so was he before his accusers. Because Jesus wasn't suffering for his own sin. He was suffering for ours. And that's where we get next week. Next week, we get the, just this, this beautiful uh, rush of the grace of God. But now the righteousness of God is given to us through faith for all who believe. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your word, and we do thank you for your law. We thank you that it is a guide for us, that it is a plumb line of how we should live. But Lord, we are so grateful that as you give us your law, you give us a way of being declared innocent and righteous when we break that law. May we be a people of humility, 
and a brother or sister says you've wronged me here or this is an area that you struggle with may we be a people that says oh it's so much worse than you even know and I bring it before the Lord and he cleanses me and he washes me and little by little he is drawing me closer into the image of himself Lord will you use this sacrament now to reinstill in our minds that Christ's death and resurrection was sufficient for all times that as we take and we eat the bread that we by faith demonstrate to the world ourselves our church our families I am resting in what Christ has done as we drink the cup that we believe that Christ's blood has flowed in place of mine his blood was sufficient as an all-time sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God that would take away our sins. And I am trusting in Him. And I am believing the relief of the gospel. May it be so for us. We ask in Jesus' name and for His sake.